You're listening to Around Comics, episode 127. This is Around Comics, the comic book roundtable, where twice a week you'll hear a revolving panel of guests discuss everything in and around the world of comics and graphic novels. On every Thursday episode, like this one, you'll hear either topic discussions, a creator interview, Comics 101, or creator spotlights. Today we're talking with one of the most prolific writers in comics today, Mr. Greg Rucka. I'm Christopher Neesman, and let me introduce you to the rest of today's panel. As always, I'm joined by Mr. Brian Salazar. Hello. Mr. Scotty Young. What's up? And Mr. Tom Caters. Welcome to RuckaCast. <laughs> oh, oh Squido. I'm so excited. Squido. Squido. That is a unknown Star Wars character. It's <laughs> a Squido, General. Out, out of episode one. Admiral you know, Squido. I've been, I've been saying that for weeks, and I just found out where it came from. Where? Uh, my neighbors, we, when we play Uno on Saturday <laughs> nights out in the back porch, uh, Uno nights, because uh, I'm awesome. Um... <laughs> Uno master. Anytime they lay down like a you know like a, a draw four card, uh huh. Like, they say Sasquito. They go, oh Sasquito. <laughs> and I was like, so he started it? saying it, and I said, finally I was like, you know, I keep saying this. Now I'm saying it everywhere. Where did this come from? And uh, I guess it's from my name is Earl, which I don't oh, okay. watch actually. But there's a character on there that I don't know. that always says, oh snap. And I guess she gets like trapped in Mexico or something, and somebody convinces her that that's how you say uh, snap. So she gets in a, like a bind or something, and she goes, "Oh, Sasquito!" <laughs> and it's, it's what's her name, Presley, Jamie, Jamie Presley, Jamie Presley, which is the hottest woman on TV, the hottest woman mm-hmm. on TV, and forever will play White like trash. a trailer yeah, trash. Yeah. Trailer <laughs> trash. Yeah. She does well. She won't be doing any like Shakespeare yeah. here, unless it's like a white trash. Yeah. O- she like, yes. Oh, she's like a Romeo. Oh, Sasquito. She's like a classically trained ballerina, and yeah, yeah. That's how she. That was her. Like, like a know. white trash ballerina. No, I don't. I don't think she's white trash at all. Like, you know, I don't think she's trip I, over them hubcaps. Her actual heritage. Study everything. Is she good? No, I, 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 how is she at a tire tossing? <laughs> I don't know. Or a good old beanbag. No, I read it in. The, I don't know. It was an article with her. I don't. I don't remember. Then people. They had cool. They had awesome pictures of her article. in like, in like a unitard <laughs> thing though. But that's all I remember. Hot. Yeah, that's why I remember it. I read it in an article. <laughs> well, before we talk uh, to Greg, I want to let everyone know that this episode of Around Comics is sponsored by InStockTrades.com. Waiting for the trade has never been easier. InStockTrades.com offers a huge selection of the collected editions you need. InStockTrades.com is your source for trade paperbacks, deluxe hardcovers, essentials, showcases, archives, absolute editions, omnibus editions, and more. All at great discounted prices, and remember that all orders over $50 ship for free. Whether you're buying an Absolute Edition or catching up with showcases and essentials, InStockTrades.com is your new best friend. 
I have spent so much money in stock trades, it's not even funny. Have you? Like, at a criminal amount of money. <laughs> did, did you meet Cameron last week at no, uh, Wizard no, World? I don't Who's, what? You should have seen the, the <laughs> bling that he Who? was wearing. The what? It's, it's he a, gave I love a, Scotty Young. Did it? Scotty Young's been spending so much money. Yeah, yeah. 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 Scotty Young bought me this necklace. Yeah, I enjoy how... You're um, working for in-stock trades, not Marvel. <laughs> I enjoy it. what a hard time we have saying the word essential. Yeah, yeah. He gave us a free pen. Check it out. Yeah, those are great pens. Yeah, little in stock trades. Uh, audio show. Yeah, yeah like but you know, you can all you I like can take a picture. I like the of hand it. cramp I'll have after using that <laughs> little nail. Yeah. Well, you can also I get great pens at uh, Dark Tower that. Comics and Collectibles, and you around can? comics is recorded here every Friday at seven o'clock, and it's located at forty eight thirty five Northwestern Avenue in Chicago. I've also spent a criminal amount of money at this On store. Pens? Oh. At this store. You see all the bling that Mark's wearing? What's it says, I love Scotty. Dark, Dark Tower, Tower Comics and Collectibles. tall. But with all the money you spend, you got leg extensions. Leg extensions. <laughs> <laughs> New legs. So anyway, if you're, if you're in Chicago on a Friday night and uh, you'd like to come by and meet the crew, you are certainly welcome. We actually have a couple people in we won't, here tonight. We probably won't talk to you. Yeah. No. <laughs> We're too busy. We got yeah. show to put on. We got we stuff to do. Yeah. We got... All right. Well, I tell you what. Let's uh, let's move on here. Uh, Greg Rucka has made a career of writing for multiple entertainment mediums. He's worked as a novelist, a comic book writer, a video game scripter, and an executive producer. Rucka has put his stamp on some of the most iconic characters in comics, including DC's Trinity and Marvel's Wolverine. Who the hell's Trinity? Uh, that would be Superman, Batman, and Wonder oh, Woman. He has ooh. written all three That's of like them. like some Jesus shit. Yeah. <laughs> the Holy Trinity. Uh, Rucka's independent works include such titles as Queen and Country, the upcoming Stumptown, and Whiteout, which has been adapted for release as a major motion picture starring Maybe. Kate Beckinsale. Hot. Yes. Very hot. Hot. And we're going to hear all about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have a funny serendipity story. The first, <laughs> I bought it uh, very quick. I bought a DVD player in college, and I didn't know how to hook it up properly, so we watched Serendipity, but we can only watch it in black and white. And it turns out it's like the most colorful movie of all time. <laughs> It's like watching Pleasant. I, I know exactly. <laughs> it, it was not very good without color. Yeah. And then I saw it with color. I'm like, well, fuck. can I add yeah, a genius? Can I add a funny DVD story? <laughs> when yes. uh, uh, Gangs of New York came out, it I rented sucked, it. Yes. I rented it, and uh, I put in, a di- you know, it was two discs. Yeah. It was such a long goddamn movie, and I put a disc in and I watched it, and I got to the end, and I'm like. God, that was a weird movie. Where are they going to city? Because <laughs> uh, I watched the second disc <laughs> from the beginning, you know, like halfway through the movie on. Think of the first. And I'm like, this is the strangest film. Tip you off until the end? No, I didn't even get it until I but popped it out of the DVD player. You know what, you know what and, is and very telling? <laughs> that's how bad that movie was. <laughs> well, is you could start in the, the middle. The book is fantastic. Yeah. The book you, is fantastic. You could start in the middle well, and get to the end. Did Greg Rucker write that? No, I don't think so. Greg no, doesn't write book. anything that's song. Okay. Book. <laughs> Greg doesn't write anything that's song. <laughs> How dare you? Let's ask him. Disparage. Well, we will. And I tell you what, let's ask him right now, uh, because Around Comics is happy to welcome back to the program, Mr. Greg Rucka. Right, well, Greg, welcome to the show. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming back on with us. It's nice to be there. It's been a while. It, yeah, it's um, since New York, New York. I saw you. Yeah, which uh, I, I think just before uh, or or as the New York con was going on, they were doing uh, filming in Montreal for Whiteout, which I think is probably a good place to start. You were getting ready to uh, to head out there. Um, what was the 
what was the experience of being on set for a movie that was based on on your graphic novel like um you know I, I wish I could come up with like the best way to describe it I guess I guess the way to do it would be you know if, if you've ever imagined something and it was so complete in your head you know and you had all the details and there were details there that you you, you you saw in your mind's eye that you never ever spoke about you know they're the details that you assume right if I tell you it's a dining room you guys are all going to go okay so there's a table and there are chairs and there's cutlery and you know what I mean you fill in everything else I walked on to the set for uh for Anderson Scott, you know, for the South Pole base, which they mm-hmm. built, you know, this huge set. And uh, I, I turn and I look, and on the wall is a placard. It's got a map of the base. In case of emergency, right, these are your exits. And then it's got a list of what you do, right, if, if there's a fire, you know. Step one, you know, activate nearest comm system. Two, announce mayday, mayday, mayday three times. You know what I mean? I have one of those and, at my base. <laughs> and, and, and I, I, I kind of, that, that was the moment where uh, apparently I, I started grinning and I just couldn't stop for like the next day and a half. It was amazing. It was amazing. And, they, you know, I mean, my first, the first moment coming in, we were met at the studio, um, by the assistant uh, for a guy, uh, David Gambino, the producer, basically on the ground, uh, who was this great guy. And his assistant came out to, to lead me in. And we go in to the soundstage in between shots, right, the red light's off. And we enter, and it's all dark, and they're pumping all the smoke into the set because they want the interior of the set that they're on. Or they're, pu- they're pumping smoke onto the stage because they want the smoke in the set to give, you know, the set, the appropriate smoky atmosphere. And the set they've built, this is the first set I see, is Vostok, right? It's the Russian base that's built in, you know, the 50s. It's a Cold War-era base that has pretty much been abandoned by the Russians since, you know, the Cold War ended, because why do they? They got money to spend on this? And I come around the edge of the set, and I'm walking into the video village, right, which is, you know, the director sits there with these monitors and the headsets, and there's the... You know, the assistant director, everybody's running around there. That's where all the seats are. And as I come around, Beckinsale walks out of the set, right? They've just completed the shot. And she comes out, and she's wearing, you know, the big wool pants and uh, a, a shirt that's quite tight, you know, thermal. <laughs> I have a and, uh, right she's now. got a big rush of her hat, you know. And uh, I, I, I had, you know, I, I, my jaw was on the floor. I was like, oh, my God, because I... You know, she's pretty. <laughs> she's, even, she's even prettier in person, if you can believe it. Wow. No, I, I mean, like, however beautiful one may think she is, seeing her on screen is next to nothing as to seeing her in real life. It is, uh, there's a line used to describe Grace Kelly uh, as freakishly beautiful. And so the first thing I see is, you know, back in sale, I go, homie. Christ, you know? <laughs> and then the second thing I go do is go, oh my God, she's got Carrie's hair. I mean, she's wearing, her hair has been done to look like Stetco and, in the comic. And I think from that point on, I was like, well, we're golden. I was you know? going to ask it, you that. How, how does she translate? Because, 
you know, Carrie was definitely, I think in the book, someone that was attractive, but I mean, she had, she had her, her pimples, so to speak. Did, did Kate Beckinsale, do you feel like she, like she nailed that role? They were role? hot pimples. <laughs> they were hot. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think Beckinsale did a wonderful job. Uh, I haven't seen the final cut, you know, they're still assembling right now, but all of the performers, and there wasn't a weak link. And, you know, the, the fact is, and again, you look at somebody like Kate Beckinsale, um, well, freakishly beautiful. Turns out she also can act. Um, you know, and then, you know, Tom Skerritt, there's a scene that, you know, they have a couple scenes together that are just going to, I think they're just going to be fantastic when people see these things. Columbus Short, who plays Delphi, uh, I honestly feel probably steals just about every scene he's in. Um, Gabriel Mock is playing Price, you know, and I guess has been cast to play the Spirit, you know, for, yeah. for yep. Miller's Spirit movie, which should tell you everything you need to know about Gabriel Mock right there. You know, they're just all, these guys are all firing on all cylinders. I've heard that Tom Skerritt is freakishly handsome in person. <laughs> um, you know what? Tom Skerritt has, uh, he's got guns, man. Like, seriously, he's got to be in his late 70s, and you do not want to piss him off. <laughs> There's no question he'll send you through a wall. Nice. Was like there my dad? <laughs> was there uh, was there some part of you that kind of didn't really believe that it was real until you got on set and you, and you sort of was able to see all the you know uh, recreations of these things from the book? It wasn't it wasn't that I didn't believe it was real. What happened? And they played a dirty trick on me because um, I actually went up twice. The first time I went up for my quote unquote official visit because I'm I'm an executive producer on the film. Uh, which meant basically they had to let me come see shooting. <laughs> you know that that's the whole reason we pushed for it, really. So you know we got the nice tour. I was only up there for like three days, and then uh, Dominic Sena, right, the director, uh, and who you know really is invested in the material and know, knows the material. You know he'd been he told me he'd been chasing the project for ten years, and that every time he'd you know go, hey, is this available? Somebody else would have had it. So when he heard it came up. Uh, with Silver, you know, he, he chased it down. He wanted to do it. Um, he made the mistake of saying, you know, you want to come back. So I got back to Portland and I saw Steve, you know, and I was like, we have to go. You have to see this. You have to see this. We have to go back. So we went back, and then I'm there for like two days, three days, and Gambino turns to me on the third day. Uh, we're watching something being shot, and I'd been trying really hard to keep my mouth shut, you know, because <laughs> I didn't want to chime in. I actually uh, had made some comment about something. Gambino gets out of Video Village, and he's holding the the sides, right, which are the, the script pages for the day. He's been going over them and going over them, and he looks like, come here. And I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> I said, I blew it. You know, they're going to they're gonna drag me out and shoot me now. They said, so I'm going to call your agent and see uh, how would you feel about staying on and helping us till the end of the shoot. Wow. And... I said, but I, 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 yeah, that'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've got comic books to write. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I got to stay through the end of shooting, which was like another three weeks. Um, and that was the dirty trick because before, right, I could go up and I could see everything they were doing and I could still, you know, I didn't have to invest in it, right? Because, well, we did the graphic novel. Now they're making a movie. They're going to make the movie the way they're going to make the movie. I acknowledge from the start that a movie, by definition, can't be the comic book. It's going to be different. Sure. So, you know, whatever they do, 
I'm going to be cool with it. And then they gave me a job. <laughs> it was like, you bastards. So, now I have to care. <laughs> <laughs> you made it, so now I have to care. Um, so, you know, I mean, at the end, I'm pleased with everything so far. Cutting it together, I saw uh, some of what he cut together about two weeks ago. I was down in L.A., and he showed me one scene, and I don't want to say what the scene was, but it was a scene that I'd seen in dailies and I thought was really, really well done. And he had pretty much just finished putting his final touches on it, and it's amazing. I think it's going to, I really think it's, it's going to bring the house down. And it is, it's one of these scenes, like I was talking about in San Diego, that we couldn't have done in the comic. It just wasn't going to work in, on the comic page. But, man, it's, it's incredible. So. How hard was it to initially, like, not, you know, try to get more involved with it? Uh, Very easy. <laughs> I didn't want anything to do with it, man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, then the, and, and then they made that executive producer tag actually mean something. It sounds yeah, they like. really did, actually. And that was one of Gambino's lines. He said, I'm going to make you earn it. Wow. <laughs> nice. nice. But, well, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how to, and I've said this before, but, you know, Steve and I created the comics and that's what we set out to do we set out to tell the story as, as, as a comic book story we didn't set out to tell it and then hope it would be made into a movie and when you know the movie sold and so on and my agent would say well do you want to adapt it my response was hell no I'm the worst person to adapt it I'm too close to it and I you know and, and I'm not going to make the right choices for a movie um so you know, I, I went into it pretty much going, hey, I've had nothing to do with it. And I'd actually not read White Out in like six years before I'd gone up. And on the flight up the first time, I reread the graphic novel. And then I read the draft of the script that they had sent. And, you know, I finished reading the graphic novel going, wow, I wrote this ten years ago, and boy, did it show. <laughs> you know, I'm just seeing like every mistake I made. And then I read the draft, and I was like, this is so much better. You know, this is so much better than what I wrote. Well, talking about um, adaptions from originals, I, I I just saw the uh, the movie poster and the adaption that they made from the Frank Miller cover is amazing. Uh, what were you yeah, thoughts no, that? On that poster was done specifically for San Diego. Okay, that was. Uh, I don't know if that's actually going to be the release poster, but yeah, they did that, and then they, you know, I, I don't know if anybody. If anybody from the show uh, actually was at San Diego or saw it, they did an, like an, they cut together like a 90-second trailer specifically for the San Diego audience, too. And it had just enough teases, you know, that I think the diehard fans, you know, all six of them were like, oh, good, they're doing that, and so on. <laughs> well, moving on with, with Whiteout, um, and, and you talked to uh, us about this in New York, is with the movie coming out that you and Steve, and, and Steve being Steve Lieber, that you guys are going to come back and do Whiteout 3, um, the graphic yeah. novel. Is that going to be a graphic novel or um, a, a miniseries? Um, we're probably, we, we're actually, Steve and I met with James Lucas, uh, you know, editor-in-chief at Oni last week, and we were talking about format. And I think all of us want to do do it in floppies initially, and then we'll probably trade it fairly promptly thereafter. But it goes back to sort of, you know, I mean, when, when we came to it the first time, we've always wanted to tell, you know, the story as comic stories, and we've always wanted to do those as best as we can. Um, the trick here is trying to get everything, you know, handled in such a way that, because we'd be idiots if we didn't, 
you know, so that we can capitalize on, on, on the publicity the movie will give us. So I suspect what we'll do is we'll release each issue, you know, as, as a 24-page floppy, and then, um, and then we'll trade promptly thereafter and, and try to get that in bookstores. Is there any, uh, any plans to uh, re-release the original two or, or, you know, do something, you know, in conjunction with the, with the release of the film? Mm-hmm. The uh, first one, Whiteout, has actually been re-released in what, what Oni is calling a definitive edition. It's kind of a, it's a smaller format. It's not quite digest. It's on much better paper stock, and then Steve actually went through it and made, like, the art corrections that he'd been killing himself over for the last ten years. You know, so he went back in and he was able to clean up things and see reproduction done the way he wanted it. And uh, Melt, which, you know, the Melt Definitive Edition, I believe, comes out uh, in a couple weeks. So both will be available, and then Oni has a publishing plan to try to get those into bookstores as well. If you have the first two, do you have to buy the definitive version? <laughs> no. No. You and say yes, People Greg. were asking me at San Diego about buying White Out, and I was like, if you already have it, you don't need to. And everybody I told that to went and bought it anyway. Uh, Comic fans. You are a tricky bastard. <laughs> I was going to say, I did not know I had such powers. Uh, I, will say, I will say a couple things. You know, if, if you own one, the definitive editions, there is actually a neat difference in... You know, I mean, the paper stock difference is such that the white in the definitives now is really crisp. And it, it actually adds, I think, to, to Steve's art in a very, very elegant way. So, but, you know, you don't need it. <laughs> well, what's up? Says with a wink. Unless, <laughs> a wink, wink. <laughs> unless you're like a, unless you're a loser. You're a super <laughs> not, not that any comic book fans are completists or anything. I would never ever call any fan out there a loser <laughs> in a way that it could be attributed to me. <laughs> when is the oh, film scheduled to, to release? No idea. Don't know yet. No idea. They were talking about spring, and then Joel Silver had this idea and I remember him saying this he was like we're going to release it in the middle of summer it'll be the hottest time of the year we'll release about the coldest place in the world that's a pretty damn and, good idea and then uh, and then I heard somebody say well maybe the fall of 08 <laughs> I think it's probably going to be spring but Get there's no winter. date as yet <laughs> Yes, and are are you uh, going to be involved? I mean, of course, when the, when it comes out, there, before it comes out, there's you know obviously going to be a big press push for it. Are you going to be involved with that at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've uh, you know I, I've told them, and I'm I'm happy to do it. Both Steve and I, you know, are we're behind what they're doing. You know, we're gonna we're gonna back it. We're gonna back the play. Um, I'm, I'm happy to go out there and show for it, and I'm, I'm more than happy to do it because, like I said, everything I've seen, I'm happy with, and. I did at San Diego. They did, you know, Warner Brothers had a panel on Friday where they sort of did coming attractions, Dark Castles coming attractions. And it was in Hall H. It was like 6,500 people. And that was like my big press day. I, you know, I, was, I ended up behind the scenes with, you know, Ridley Scott. You know, I was like, wow. oh, my God. Um, talk about being out of your depth. You know, <laughs> I was like, I write comics. Why am I here? <laughs> and um, the... Uh, one of the things that happened, Jeff Johns informed me of this after the fact, laughing at me, by the way, uh, was we got up in the green room to do the panel, and we got there early, and the publicist shove us out and around and into another room, and there are like 20 people with TV cameras, 
standing, you know, uh, ass to nuts with 20 people with microphones, all of them on marked masking tape X's. And they put you in this line, and then they sort of work you down it in two-minute increments. Uh, so, you know, Joel goes, and then Dominic goes, and then I go, and we're soundbiting. Give us a profile shot, Greg. <laughs> well, <laughs> Who are you wearing? It's always, it's always like, yeah, we're here with Greg Rucka, and Greg calls about what And, uh, hey, Greg Rucka, Ray, 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 what's what out about? You know, and that. Uh, and like I was speed like, dating for stuff will start showing up when the movie is released. And I was, I was dinking around on Xbox Live a couple days ago, and uh, my Xbox Live interview is actually downloadable. So oh. it's, it's, it's there, me, Dominic, and Joel. Uh, which was kind of appalling to see. Frankly, I was like, "What am I doing there?" <laughs> Wouldn't have worn that barrel with two straps if I knew I was. Gonna uh, you know, uh, let, let's just say that I, normally I don't mind that I shave my head. The footage of me on the panel sitting next to Kate with the light like bouncing off my scalp <laughs> and, and burning her. You know, I was like. Uh, Maybe you should let it grow out again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I moving on, uh, Bantam sent us a nice little gift in the mail uh, earlier this hey, week. Hey, you finished it yet? I, I'm, <laughs> geez, <laughs> no, but but Greg, I got a, a scary story. The pages are sticking together. Though. I, I, <laughs> I, I pretty much only read comic books. Oh, well, and, I'm taking this back because I'll read and, it. No, and and, <laughs> and I've read I've read two novels in the last uh, two years, and that is A Gentleman's Game and Private Wars. Oh, and, so this will be the third. Well. Yes, <laughs> and and my wife walks in uh, oh, to the living Potter. room earlier this week, and Jesus. I'm sitting on the couch and I'm reading reading a book, and she goes, "Oh my gosh, you're reading a book. It's not a comic book." <laughs> and then she looks at the cover and sees your name, and she's like, "Oh, that do that doesn't fucking count." You might want. Write a <laughs> it does so count. You might want to write a book about world events so Chris knows what's going on. <laughs> otherwise, I don't think he's going to catch up on anything. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 bad. But uh, yeah, she's like, oh, him again. So you're the third person in our marriage, Greg. Will you write a heroes <laughs> click novel? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I appreciate. I, I really, I do appreciate the courtesy that your wife has shown me so far, and I'm really grateful. That she didn't kick me out during the honeymoon. So, <laughs> <laughs> this is fucking creepy. <laughs> <laughs> I told you guys it was. God damn, this is a creepy mother. This is, I thought it was a one-way road. No, this is a circular <laughs> highway, guys. Should we leave them alone? Fuck. <laughs> yeah, it's right. But but we are of course talking about Patriot Acts, which is mm -hmm. the uh, the continuation of the adventures of Atticus Kodiak and yeah, uh, the most poorly named. <laughs> but your name, I was I was commenting earlier on how awesome your last name is and how I want. Mine's like young. I want a name like Rucka. No, you don't. <laughs> you really don't because like when you're eight and you're on the playground, you know. Oh, that's, yeah. That's motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's why it's so sweet. <laughs> I grew up well, in a rough place. <laughs> It's sweet once you get shoulders and you know how to throw a punch. <laughs> Before then, kind of sucks. <laughs> well, now now that we have uh, Atticus coming back to to novels, um, is this yeah. um, for for fans that that haven't read any of any of the previous novels? Do they need to read those, or is this as good a place as any to jump in with his adventures? You know, with, with every novel I write, you know, with the Q&C novels, with the Kodiak series, I always try to make the book as accessible as possible. 
But I'm a fan of serial storytelling. You know, it's one of the reasons why I love comics, because comics are serials, you know. We, it matters what happened five years ago, you know. So, yeah, you can absolutely pick up Patriot Acts and not know anything about the characters of the series. It can be your first book in the series. Um, and I think you, you suffer in no real way for it, and you'll enjoy it, and I think it's a good book. If you know the series, it's a different read because the emotional impact of some of the events, you're going to have a little more potency if you've experienced these characters before. Mm-hmm. If, if, if somebody out there is going, well, I really want to know before I pick up Patriot Acts what's been going on, I would say pick up Critical Space first because Patriot Acts is, is really a true, I mean, it is a true sequel. It begins about 15 minutes after Critical Space ends. But you don't have to unless you, you suck. Unless, unless you want to. <laughs> Wink. No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is not me trying to sell whiteouts. This is an awesome charity. I mean, you don't have to. I think that, you know, look, I'm, 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 I'm an author of a series. Mm-hmm. Would I like people to know the series when they read the latest book? I think they get a different experience out of it, yes. But I, I really do try to make sure that you don't, you're not obligated to know the prior work. So... You should be okay if you don't know what the hell's going on coming into. When, when is the when is the actual street date for Patriot Acts? The street, street date is date. August twenty eighth. Okay, it's uh so next week. Ooh, that's that the same day as Aesop Rocks. Now. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's another. I, I'll remember to that the release date of this now because of. of that's good a date. That's a good date. <laughs> that's a good date. <laughs> Scott, Scotty approved. You picked a good yeah, date. That's a good date. Right. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's synchronicity. There. Yeah, I wanted to ask about you. Had, you had even sort of made fun of it in the, in the beginning about Atticus Kodiak, the name. What uh, <laughs> did you have any other names you were before you picked Atticus Kodiak that you thought maybe would work? I had a, I had a different name. Well, the character went through iterations. You know, I actually started working on who this guy was back in college, and uh, the first book I wrote with him, I wrote, uh, was actually my master's thesis for my MFA, uh, and is a book that nobody will ever read, because it's bad. Um, and then the second one I wrote about him was the first one that was published, it was Keeper. Um, and I, I remember going, you know, I spent way too much time thinking of trying to come up with a name. Uh... And then once I had a name, trying to justify it, <laughs> trying to be like, why would you name somebody this? You know, and why not? Patriot, in Patriot Acts, you kind of you find out. So you, there, there is a, an explanation as to how he ends up with his name. So he actually has a brother named Holden, which should sort of dip it. That's pretty ah. hot. Holden Kodiak. Holden. Kodiak. Uh, yep. Interesting. That's hot. Now I definitely have to read it. I always thought Atticus Kodiak sounded kind of like a uh, like a porn star name. <laughs> it's like, you know, I mean, I, like I said, it, if I knew now what I knew then, you know, like, yeah. too many um, I love Tom really uh, love puts some cement to your work. I love what it connotes. You know, yeah. it's very, very deliberately. He's, he is named after the character of Atticus Finch. Um, ah, it, it's the Kodiak that, that, that really throws it. And then you say, what's with all the fricatives? Get away. <laughs> so. Well, you know, this had actually come up on the show uh, previously. Now, Atticus is a, a bodyguard by trade. Now, He's a security specialist. Security specialist. Now, you did. <laughs> Bodyguard's some... so t- tawdry. Yeah. Boilers? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> now, you actually worked in, in security. What, what was that? Was that all research? Killing for the people. 
<laughs> he was an assassin. Yeah, well, I didn't. I didn't. Do, I didn't work in that kind of security. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, I was. I was lucky enough that nobody ever shot at me. He worked at. Um, <laughs> no, most of the research I did with Co- you know for Kodiak because I've got a guy. His name's Jerry Henley, who did the job. Basically, everything that I use for Kodiak's backstory and his training uh, is Jerry's training. And Jerry's actually, you'll see that he's, like, listed in almost every book I write, you know, in the acknowledgments, because he is he's my primary technical guy. He's my go-to guy. Uh, so I'll call him up, and I'll say, okay, so i got six people in a room, and I need to blow up three of them, but I need to leave the other three okay. This and is he'll try and say, okay, give me a week. You know, call me back and say, okay, this is how you do it. That's a creepy friend you got there. Yeah, man. that's scary. Uh, not any unexplained murders going on. <laughs> no, because think about it. If your job is to protect people, then you're kind of obligated to figure out how people are going to try to kill them. <laughs> so, I mean, if you, you know, uh, Chris, I don't know. I actually don't know how far it, you've read, but there's, there's a... I do. There's what in the movies is called an action set piece that begins in, like, the second chapter. It's this fairly... I spend a fair amount of time detailing this gunfight, mm-hmm. and um, that gunfight was uh, a gunfight that Jerry and I actually worked out, and we spent about two weeks breaking it down and, and, and going, okay, shooting know, at each you, other. How do you survive this? And you know, what weapons are we using? And what are the parameters of the weapons? And so on. I thought you were going to say, "Is a gunfight we were in?" <laughs> <laughs> I've, uh, I've gone shooting with Jerry. <laughs> Every time I go shooting with Jerry, I leave knowing more about how to shoot and knowing all the more that I don't ever want to piss him off. Nice. Ever. <laughs> well, I will say that one of the things you learn when you start studying, studying security is that really there's no way to keep anybody safe. Mm-hmm. And and the second you start thinking about it, you can really work yourself into a place where you don't ever want to go outside ever do have, again. Do you have bottles of pee at your house? <laughs> 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 yes, and my fingernails are very, very long. <laughs> that's I, that's, that was my next question. Thank you. <laughs> wasn't it? Uh, I don't. I, I I probably am attributing to the wrong person, but wasn't it Kennedy who said like uh, a president or anyone could kill the president if they're willing to sacrifice their own life to do it? Yeah, I don't. I don't actually know who, who the who the quote's attributed to, but it's true. I mean, you know, and there's actually a line later in Patriot Acts where where Atticus is discussing with somebody the difference between a killer and an assassin and the guy he's talking to and actually the scene is is based off of a conversation i had with with garth ennis at, at a uh, at a wizard world chicago several years ago where garth was talking about you know growing up in ireland and talking about you know look these guys they want to kill you they just come at you you know <laughs> they're not going to dick around to which my response was well and by the same t- same token they don't care if you know, if anybody knows it was murder. You hire an assassin if you want to make sure that nobody knows it was murder. I think my girlfriend's you know, an assassin. What, that's what these people do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these are the ones who kill, and you just don't know they did it. It looks like he had a heart attack, and it really does look like he had a heart attack, or it really looks like there was an unfortunate fire or whatever. Well, now I'm fucking freaked out. <laughs> you know, I, well, I mean, you know, Thanks, this, is, buddy. this is always the part because I get this one a lot too. I get you don't really believe people like this exist. Oh, how would it be like? What? Well, why not? I mean, the, the causal logical extension, right? We know for a fact that our government kills people. They use soldiers to do it, right? We call this wars, right? We train people to kill, right? Yes? 
Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah, I have yeah. to argue that point. So why is it so much further along to then go, okay, well, we're going to train these people to kill really, really well. And then we're going to train them further to make sure they can do it without knowing it. And then at that point, once you've given them all of that knowledge, why is it so hard to believe that at some point they might go, you know what, i got no loyalty to you people. I'm going to go make a few bucks. I don't care about this. Why not do it? I can make money doing this. Mm -hmm. I have to quit the show. Let's face it, you can't really, at that point, put on your resume, you know, professional killer. That's not really going to land you a good job in sales at the BMW dealership. I'm always amazed when I hear people that are like, oh, my God, you know, oh, it was a covert operation. It's like, of course it was, you idiot. (laughs) What do you think? You know, it's like when people act appalled that, you know, intelligence agencies maybe have killed people before. It's like, haven't you been paying attention? They're not going to give it up because you asked them to. You know, if, 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 our, if our problems with, you know, the radical jihadists could be solved by just having a nice conversation and a cup of tea, we'd have done it already. That's it. I'm going to the safe room. <laughs> yeah. You know. Fuck this. Take, take the book with you. Well, <laughs> I'm going to go bottle. I, excuse me, I have to go bottle my pee. <laughs> I'm never leaving the house. Well, let's, let's, let's jump into espionage in the, in the comic realm and... Right now, you're 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 working on Checkmate, and mm-hmm. and that that brings up a whole different uh, set of of challenges for you to write an espionage book in a world that is populated by superheroes. So, yep. how how do you deal with those issues of of you know uh, the the political backstabbing and and maneuvering in a world that has Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman? Well, I mean, I try to do it. I guess I suppose. The best answer is to say I try to do it the way I try to do everything else, which is as honestly as possible, uh, which unfortunately I guess some people may find very boring at times. But, you know, to make Checkmate work, um, for my purposes I had to make uh, the DC Earth make a certain amount of political sense. It had to, in, in in some ways, mirror ours, and then in other ways, you know, obviously couldn't, because the second you have Superman, all bets are off. Um, you know, the, the hardest part, and, and I've run into this before, is it's very hard to keep a secret uh, in the DCU. Um, in fact, you know, I would argue it's very hard to do it in, in any superhero universe. You know, I'm sure that the, the difficulty is rampant at Marvel as well. Anytime you have a character who can read minds, you're pretty SOL. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so then, you know, we, you sit there and you start to go, okay, well, what becomes reasonable? What can you get away with? And then I think the thing that, that and then I made things really hard on myself in Checkmate because I went in and said, okay, some of these people can't have powers. That's a rule. They all have to be perfectly normal. Um, but that's something also that's always fascinated me in, in, in writing comics. You know, I, I always like to juxtapose those people who have these amazing gifts with, you know, those of us who still have to wash the ditches. Well, uh, the issue that came out this last Wednesday, uh, issue 7? Security break. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I like about, really liked about that issue is, like, um, it sort of takes on, like, from a storytelling perspective of reading it, it's like a puzzle worked backwards. You know, like, obviously a place like their castle needs to have security, 
So what kind of security do you have? You have the type of security that makes sense in, like, a superhero universe. Well, and, and, and you know, it's funny because uh, the guy who uh, I co-wrote the issue with, Eric Troutman, uh, that was his idea. He and I were talking one day, and he looked at me and said, why the hell isn't the castle constantly under attack? <laughs> and I kind of blinked. <laughs> well, yeah, it always is. And I said, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and he said, well, they, he said, it doesn't make sense. And that sort of led to the idea for the issue, because he was right, you know. And he actually called me on something. I think I think working with Erica, in particular on 17, has influenced, and you'll see it, you know, the start of 18. But he pointed out something that uh, I hadn't realized was, I think, a flaw in the series, which is for the first year and a half of the series, I pretty much kept Checkmate self-contained, so that uh, I was working so hard to justify it in the in the context of the DC universe, I wasn't really letting Checkmate interact with the rest of the DC universe, you know, shadow packed once, you know what I mean? Um, and, and Eric sort of called me on that. He said, no, you, you need to start drawing the connections. And, and I think actually that's really helped. You started to see them check out with all the stuff with the outsiders and the great 10, you know, and dealing with the 52 stuff. And it's going to be much more apparent as the series now goes on. I feel the baseline for the book has been established well enough that we can reach out and explore the rest of the DCU having established Checkmate's place in it. Do, do you kind of see Checkmate as DC's version of S.H.I.E.L.D. in, in kind of a, you know, a respect there? I, I, I know nobody's going to believe me when I say this. I, I, I've never even thought about it. Um, I know people have drawn that comparison before, um, and I suppose if one wanted to, one could actually chase it down and come up with a whole bunch of parallels. But I, I'd never actually thought about it like that. I always thought of it as Queen and Country in the DCU. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, that was always the way I approached it was, I want to do harder espionage. And that, I suppose, you know, if we're going to draw a parallel with S.H.I.E.L.D., is, S.H.I.E.L.D. has never been about hard espionage. No. Um, it, it has, I think, in recent years become more political. But, you know, it started out as a Bond pastiche. Um, and doing sort of that broad, over-the-top espionage stuff. And, and frankly, that's not, that's not the stuff that in, interests me. The thing that has always interested me in spy stories is how all these people with incredibly big brains maneuver to these moments of extraordinary violence, you know? Mm -hmm. And then they go away again. That espionage is this very placid, placid lake and underneath, there are death charges going off all the goddamn time. Well, the thing with Checkmate and the, and the thing with um, um, Queen of Country is that, you know, there's always two conflicts. There's the external and then, and then the internal. And you kind of have that built in with Checkmate with the, with the, the white and the black. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, that... You know that that is definitely the undercurrent, or, or you know what politics are being played on the checkmate side that and end up coming out. That's the nod to realism for me because espionage realistically is not. It, espionage is always a political tool. It's always a political tool, and you can you see it in this country. I mean, just you know, look over the last few years at everything that we've heard about what's going on in the CIA and the conflict between the CIA and the DIA at the Pentagon. And this is all political stuff. Right, espionage. If espionage is supposed to be simply about national defense, then it shouldn't matter if you are quote unquote a loyal Bushy or not. It shouldn't matter, mm -hmm. right?
right? What should matter is the quality of the intelligence. So we have had people leaving, you know, CIA in particular in droves because unless the intelligence they present is deemed politically appropriate, it's ignored. That's kind of insane. <laughs> it's kind of crazy. Well, it's no longer doing what it's supposed to do. It's no longer... Well, it certainly doesn't. But, I mean, it, it is kind of like saying, you know, okay, I have a map. I'm going on a trip. I'm trying to get from point A to point B. And I'm talking to you about the route. And you tell me, well, if you go on point B, the bridge is out and you will die. So you need to go on point A. You need to go route A, right, instead of route B. And I look at it and I go, yeah, but you know what? I, I, I really want to see what's along Route B, so I, I'm just going to ignore that piece of information. Okay, <laughs> but that was kind of crucial. <laughs> pay attention to your instructions. What are the well, you know, map quest sucks. <laughs> Bad map quest. <laughs> One of the things I uh, I sort of pick up from a lot of your work is is uh, dealing with secrets, uh, whether it's political secrets or personal secrets or. The secrets people use to, uh, y you know, affect other people. Wh I mean, is that something you sort of go into a little bit uh, working on a story? Is like how to use that in some way, or is it just something that interests you? Like, you know, how people uh, spend so much time either using other people's secrets or protecting their own secrets uh, for their own benefit? Yeah, I think absolutely. I, but I think I do it now, almost subconsciously. One of the first things when I was, when I was starting to, to really learn how to write, I would um, I'd write up bios for my characters. And in each bio, I would say, what's their secret? Um, and the secret, may, you know, in many cases, never, ever comes out. Uh, you know, like the secret for, you know, Atticus's secret has never been, it's never come up. Mm -hmm. um, but by the same token, if you know the Kodiak series, Bridget's secret was a whole novel. Um, you know, which says, hey, used to be a junkie. Um, we all have stuff that we don't want other people to know. And, you know, sometimes it's stupid shit and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's serious. Um, and sometimes it's, it's something worth killing for and sometimes it's not. But you get great drama simply by having those present. You know what I mean? Do you, do you do that with characters that maybe aren't your creation? Do you do that with with Diana or Batman or 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 Superman? Do you do you go through that same process with them? Not with them because those those are characters that have been exceptionally well drawn by people you know long before I ever came on the scene. Um, so trying to sit there and go, well, what's what's the new secret? Is not really the necessary. Yeah. One time, Batman um, strangled a child. No. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, you know, also fundamentally changes the character, right. so probably not such a good secret. And actually, the Batman secret is is is, is a well known secret. It's part of the character. Yeah. The secret is, you know, especially yeah. he feels guilty. Oh well, yeah, his parents are dead. They all have secrets. I mean, that's yeah. why they've lasted so long because they all have that built into them. You know, Superman's Clark Kent. That's his, you know, secret. Well, but there's also an emotional secret, which is Superman wants to be human. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and that's those are the things that kind of make the engine run for me. Well, I like the, I like the idea that you know, like you said, with Atticus, you you have a character whose secret you probably never plan on on telling, but it can help you so much 
in him dealing with the world and the characters around him and, and everyone right else because <laughs> <laughs> what is his secret? It just adds. No. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I love the idea of that. You know, you have that built into the character to help uh, affect you know what he does and everything uh, in the world. But uh, but it may never come out. Yeah, I mean, I think you know the the secret to me is for writing a good character, or at least trying to write a character. Honestly, is to you know that's the word is to approach those things with honesty and be like, well, what are people really like? And if you do that well, you know, if 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 you honor those emotional truths, then you can write about just about anything or anyone. Um, If if you remember that, hey, you know, we all know what it's like to be lonely, then that that's an emotional touchstone we can all share. Right. And you may be able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, but you still know what it's like to be lonely. And while we can't leap tall buildings, we can empathize with Clark Kent's loneliness or, you know, his rejection or any of those things. Well, what I mean, I think for some reason of late, there's been a lot of television that I've been watching that has been dealing sort of with uh, people's secrets. There's, I don't know. There's just been shows that I've been attracted to of late. And what's in this box? Well, just amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's in this box? What's in the box? What's in the box? <laughs> yeah, that and Big Brother. Big Brother. You know, yeah, secrets. those. No. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but I think what amazes me so much about it is a lot of times what people will go through trying to keep a secret, and and then eventually, because a lot, you know. Eventually, you know, sooner or later, that secret's going to come out. Everyone, yeah. you know, has secrets that come out sooner or later, and and a lot of times, it you you sort of build the stuff up in your head that it's going to be so much worse, and that's what sort of creates uh, your ability to do horrible things to protect them. It's a very dark night. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> very sunny. Yeah, so it's very <laughs> secrets and depression. And stuff. <laughs> well, talking about secrets, anyway, let well, we can move on. But but uh, oh, that's good, actually. The the other uh, the other uh, uh, book that you're uh, going to be working on here pretty soon is uh, speaking is the, of, of secrets. The question you got to ask questions, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah, you like that segue? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, very very very. Bye yeah, Chris's bye. secret <laughs> is that he can't do segues. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is I'm a tranny. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, what what is the story with uh, the crime bible? Oh, uh, that well, that's the question, isn't it? But um, ah. um, you're, you're as bad with segues <laughs> as I am. <laughs> and the interview ended abruptly. There. <laughs> um, the five issue mini. It's called like the five books of blood. It deals specifically the way it's built is that each issue is about a specific passage in the crime bible in the black book and you know in the same way that we the bible is all you know the five books of moses and everything else right the crime bible is all of these amalgamated things some of which we've heard of right we know that there's something called the book of curtain we know there's something called the book of moriarty um things like that so what what the uh what there are four lessons and then there's a parable there's a tale and the four lessons sort of form the tenets of the faith. And the lessons are, uh, in order of publication, deceit, lust, greed, and murder. So issue one is the lesson of deceit. Issue two is the lesson of lust. Issue three is the lesson of greed. Issue four is the lesson of murder. And issue five is called the parable of the faceless, uh, which if you, you know, mm-hmm. say it like your 
running it together it sounds like Faithless and throughout the series you have basically what Renee has been doing for the last since 52 ended uh, is she she put in uh, about a year in Nanda Parbat uh, with Richard and Todd and then decided that somebody had to <laughs> somebody had to had to attack this thing and so she has been trying to unravel uh, the various layers so in each issue there is the question encountering one aspect of the religion and one of the other purposes of the miniseries is to explain because we didn't really explain it in 52 what the organization is what it believes who actually would join it why they would join what they get out of it and how pervasive it is throughout the DCU, because if it's only eight guys chanting in a basement, they're not really a threat to anybody. Yeah. But if it's actually, you know, something that's global and spans every level of society and includes, you know, uh, an analyst at the NSA and a crime boss in, you know, South London and, you know, a priest in Rome... Um, that now we're in business, so uh, that's, that's that's kind of what's going on in it. It's it's hard for me to give a synopsis about the series because it almost reads like five short stories that are linked. Each issue pretty much stands alone, but each issue also continues the previous issue's overall narrative, and then it all culminates in, in the fifth issue. Sort of, you, you realize in the fifth issue what actually has been going on the whole time. I feel like I'm about to ask like a Larry King style question. Or like, do you like <laughs> do you like writing villains? <laughs> do, you, do you like writing villains? Like, <laughs> do you enjoy writing uh, villains more? I like writing villains that I get. If that makes sense. My biggest problem with, with most villains is I look at them and I'm like, that's just stupid behavior. I mean, nobody would do that. You know, it's one of the reasons why I can look at somebody like Two Face and be like, I get Two Face. I get the malfunction there. I understand it. Right? I can understand this guy who's just absolutely so incapable of believing in the system or believing in right or wrong or making the determinations himself. He's got to flip the damn coin. Yeah. He, he flips the coin to go, do I stab you or let you live? You know? Who, do I do the evil thing or the good thing? It's, it's a moral barometer. But, you know, villains are just like, I... Woke up today and I was pissed off, so I'm going to take over the world. It's like you know what? I just can't can't get behind that. Um, Who's someone you so, don't get? Hmm? Who's someone you don't get? Like just as like a flip side to saying you get Two Face. Oh, well, a good one that I don't get. I don't get Clayface right now. Yeah, there's a good example in the DC. I just don't get Clayface. He Once just kind of shows up. You know? Yeah. Well, and it's like okay, he's just a force of nature. <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, he used I mean, to be really fucked up. Right now. I get Deadshot. You know, Ostrander did amazing work with that character. Yeah. You know what I mean? And you can understand the motivations there. You can figure out what's making him tick. Um, Clayface just kind of like shows up and then gets beat. And looks <laughs> kick ass. Yeah. And looks cool, but just kind of shows up and it's like, <gasps> yeah. And there's like eight Clayfaces, so you never remember which one it is. If it's like the uh, cool Alan Moore one who like hid in the mall. You know, and was all, you imagined he was in love with a mannequin. 
that's the best one. That was the best clay face. And then all the ones after that are all sort of like, oh, I'm made out of clay. And obviously bitter, for good reason, because well, you're made, out, made of out of clay. That's the only motivation. But no. sooner or later, that motivation kind of runs dry. You know? I mean, it's like, okay, what do you, you know. Still man on the clay. Either, either do something. Well, go, going back to the gum. <laughs> Going back to the question, uh, ever since uh, you you, uh, you had well, Renee Montoya became the question. There's been uh, some grumbling throughout fandom about that uh, decision uh-huh. uh, to to kill off uh, uh, Vic and and uh-huh. and turn Renee into the question. Uh, uh-huh. What are your feelings on it? Just to sort of uh, get it out there. My feelings on it are that it, it was, uh, I think, a good story. And that's why it was told, you know, that we had never seen death like that in the DCU. In fact, we don't really ever see death like that in comics. Normally we see a last-minute reprieve. Um, One of the things we wanted in 52, um, and, and it shows up, is, you know, how come some people live, some people get to come back from the dead, some people survive ridiculous, ridiculous things. And some people die of really mundane, horrible... They just die mundane, horrible deaths. I have to say, you fucking tortured us with the question, because, like, every week when we thought he would die, it'd be, oh, he's still around for, like, <laughs> He's going to pull through. He's going to pull he's through. He's going to pull through somehow. Yeah, okay, wait yeah that, that, that's called cancer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> true enough, true. It's yeah. funny that you'll see... I don't know if anybody's been picking up the, uh, the, the 52 trades... But, you know, we've been doing comments in the commentaries about after certain issues, each of us gets asked to write something. And uh, the Volume 3 trade has the issue where Charlie dies. And, uh, you know, I was asked to write up some notes on it. And in it I talked about for the first time the fact that everybody, you know, everybody points a finger at me and says, you did this. And it was actually both Keith and I. And Keith lost both his father and his father-in-law to lung cancer. And a lot of what we ended up doing with Charlie came out of his experience. And a lot of that was really governed by by Keith sort of whispering in my ear, saying, you know, and, and talking just about his experiences and about how brutal it was and, and, and then how sort of sublimely beautiful uh, it was, at least in one instance. And... It was it was really important, I think, to us to especially, you know, juxtapose with the other narratives that were going through 52 to show this as a very human death because for all of, you know, for all, all the wonder that is the, the, quest, the question, one of the things that's happened to him that, that happened sort of in the evolution of the character and that Denny did when Denny, you know, pretty much recreated him was he humanized him beautifully. He made him the most human guy wearing a mask in the DCU. Um, what's his power? His power is he, he, he won't quit until he gets an answer. I mean, really. Because there's no other superpower. You know? And frankly, you don't have to put on a mask really to ask the questions he's asking. Those stories were very human stories. And consequently, you know, one of the things we'd always try to do with Renee and Gotham Central, you know, Ed and I had worked very hard doing was keeping all the characters in Gotham Central very human and keeping their, their problems human problems. Um, so, you know, Renee fit very naturally with Charlie. And 
you know, I, I understand, like, and I've said, you know, I, I understand people not liking it. I understand that for a lot of folks it's an uphill battle. Um, I also understand there are a lot of people who only know the question from the animated series, and that ain't the same guy. Um, so, you know, and then, then, you know, she appeared in Countdown a certain way, and that, that appearance in Countdown actually is nothing like she looks like in Crime Bible. So that's further muddying the waters. I think that people who, you know, saw Renee at her lowest point, which was pretty much the start of 52, um, you know, they haven't seen her since then. Uh, and a lot has happened. Um, it's hard to spend a year, you know, in the presence of Richard Dragon. Uh, and for those of you who know your question, Lord, that's the exact same thing Charlie did and not be changed and not see the world a different way. And when she shows up, you know, in, in the first issue of Crime Bible, she's a, she's, she's a different cat. There's a lot that's the same, but for the first time, she's also somebody who's not so angry all the time, is not tearing at the world and tearing at herself. There's a piece about her and that, you know, her satisfaction with herself. She interacts with the world in a very different way different characters just to say characters grow and it's very rare in, in mainstream comics to be able to take a character of one of the big companies and actually watch them evolve they, because they can't for the most part they're not allowed to you know what I mean we, we, we fake it we go oh well you know oh he's getting married that's actually not evolution that's just a change in the status quo but we haven't actually seen how that changes the character you know what I mean when Renee is the character that for whatever reason, she can grow. For me personally, um, with the question, and, and uh, I hadn't really read much of the question. It was a character that I hadn't really ever um, thought that I, I got or it just never really struck me until I read you know the, the story with him and Renee in, in 52, and then I felt like I really finally understood that character. Uh, and so that was like the hardest part of, of seeing him, you know, uh, die was that I, you know, I finally felt a connection to that character. But yeah. I mean, it's not like I had, you know, I personally, I am interested to see where. No, I, I understand exactly what you're saying. And then the counter to that is this: you know what? You get no dramatic capital at all if I kill somebody you don't give a rat's ass about. Yeah, yeah. Well, ISIS, I think ISIS dying in '52 only works because you love her. Yeah. You, know? you don't want to see her go. Um. And, and, you know, <laughs> ISIS was marked for death the second she walked on the stage. You know? <laughs> she came in with a target right between her eyes. And it still and hurt when she died, even though <laughs> anyone who reads comics kind of had to know, like... It yeah. was coming. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, you, you had to know it was coming. But, again, you know, it was, it was something... It was something actually Denny taught me. Um, you know, when I first was working on tech, and he said, you don't kill the characters you hate. You kill the characters you love. Because those are the ones that matter. Those are the, the that's, that's when deaths matter. And, you know, right now, Jesus Christ, right now we're in this era of comics where every week somebody's dying. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, yeah, but so, you kill half of them. <laughs> I don't, I do not. Between you and Brubaker, uh, <laughs> murderers row. I don't know. <laughs> that was a CSI thing. Uh, you know? Wait, it's totally different. 
Speaking of uh, 52 and all that, and I know that that was a huge pressure and stress on all of you guys, but is there part of you that misses it now that you're not doing no. it? No. <laughs> no. Hell no. No, 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 and no. And I say that, but then I also say this. You know, it, 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 I look back in 52, and I'm incredibly proud of the work we did. I think, especially when it's all traded and people are able to sit down and read the whole thing, and read it together. I think it. I think we did something remarkable there. I think it's a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. And a lot of stories don't have that these days in comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it works. And I think we, we we had some really really beautiful moments of writing. All of us, I think, really hit some great stuff. That said, you know, um, Jeff and Mark and Grant are like my dearest friends. In the same way that if we'd all been in dog sector, uh, you know, on Omaha Beach and lived, we would, we'd all be like, hey, you remember Normandy? Fuck yeah. It's just like how I talk to... Hell no. It's like how I talk to Chris every day. (laughs) 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 No. Not really. Not Not really. really. See him on Fridays. That's that's the thing. It's not like, you know, I'm looking for the opportunity to go back under fire again. No. You know, but I, I, I'm, I, I certainly acknowledge with pride what it is we accomplished. You survived. It. You did it. You guys pulled it off. I have to say, there's part of me, though, that really misses 52. Yeah. I mean, I got in such a groove with that book of reading it every week, and, and there's part of me that just, uh, I could use some more. But, uh, you know, and, 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 and thus you shall find something, I am sure, my son. Oh, there's plenty out Booster there. Booster Gold. Right <laughs> Booster Gold. Good sequel. Booster Gold is good. What, <laughs> uh, um,. We got to move on to my favorite series, and uh, I didn't save it for last this time. But uh, uh, <laughs> C- Queen and Country God. update: we just uh, we just yeah. finished up the uh, <laughs> clear the out of the way, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> we need some alone time. Uh, <laughs> fucking man, love stuff is crossing a line. <laughs> we we just uh, just finished up the the Red Panda arc, which yeah. uh, will lead into the uh, Private, Pri- Wars. Private Wars novel. And uh, and and you wrote uh, a, a a pretty pretty heartfelt uh, letter in the back of the last issue, kind of apologizing to a lot of Queen and Country fans. And mm-hmm. um, it's one that I think a lot of Queen and Country fans, I, I, we're not looking for an apology. We're we're we love it when the book comes out and and understand that you know what it may be you know something that you love to write. We know it doesn't you know necessarily pay uh, the bills. I'm I'm grateful. I really. I, I, I'm amazingly and always will be grateful to QNC fans for their incredible patience. It doesn't change the fact that I acted like an asshole. Eh. Um, there's, there, there is an obligation when you're putting out a series to hit your schedule. Um, and if not hit your schedule, at least come close to it. And I was blowing deadlines by years. Um, and that, you know, just on my my own sense of professionalism uh, is, is appalled by that. You know, and the reasons that the schedule got screwed up, the reasons that I fell behind as I did, they're all very good reasons. There are lots of very good reasons that change the fact that should never have happened. And when you have fans who are following a book, and in particular following a book from a small publisher in black and white that not a lot of people are reading, those actually aren't fans you should in any way, shape, or form take for granted. And more than anything else, that, that, that's the purpose of the apology, is that I really didn't want any QNC fans to feel taken for granted. Um, 
And I, and I and I don't think that 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 the majority of QNC fans either, because yeah, I I think that that most of them understand what is going on there. Um, but you know, with the with the timeline and and we've talked about this before, is that it does it does kind of create a little bit of a rat's nest of you know how do you keep things current and keep yeah. with with the timeline? Yeah, I mean, my my goal is sometime in two thousand and nine to start QNC Volume Two. Mm-hmm. And QNC Volume 2 will be a couple years down the line. Chase will have become Diops. It'll be her first, probably within her first 90 days of becoming Diops. Uh, Crocker will most likely have finally made it to Deputy Chief. Um, there will be at least one of the minders that's been established. Either Chris or Nikki will still be in the section. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's going to be a new minder three, uh, who unfortunately is a woman, uh, and unfortunately is a woman because Chase is cool to her. <laughs> because as far as Tara is concerned, I went there first. You have to be better than me. You have to do everything I did, and I had to do everything they did, except I had to do it backwards in high heels. And so are you. You learn how to fly, bitch. Nice. You know? Uh, so I, I knew that there would be uh, at least one new minder in- introduced. So that's that's interesting that uh, that you're going to go that route, and I'm sure that she yeah. is going to put her put her through hell. Um, is is the series going to? Um, yeah, I mean, you've never put a date to it of you know this is this year, but are you going to try and keep things as as current in the political landscape as you can? Well, I mean, you know. Uh, it, 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 Yes, but without putting dates to it. In the mm-hmm. same way that, you know, if you pick up Operation Crystal Ball, it very clearly starts around 9-11. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's you're watching reactions to 9-11 at the start of that issue. Um, you know, it, does that mean it's six years later when we're in Iraq at the end of Rotanda? And the answer is yes, but no. <laughs> sure. Because, yes, clearly we're in Iraq, and clearly we're in Iraq as a result of, an, uh, you know, of a coalition invasion. Um, but by the same token, Chase isn't six years older, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So politically, the book, and this is the problem, politically the book has to stay, stay somewhat contemporary. Um, but the characters have to remain at the same time somewhat timeless. And you can only do that for so long before, uh, I feel, or at least I felt I could only do that for so long before I ran out of rope. So... Well, sure, and, and and now you've now, now you've introduced a character in Tamsin that you know that she's going to be very very easy to chart how old she is because you're exactly, doing... and that's the other thing is that Tamsin is a prop right now. Mm-hmm. You know, all Tamsin can be is 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 a prop, and I'd much prefer Tamsin to be a character, which means she's got to be at least five or six, mm-hmm. right? She's got to be old enough that she can actually walk and talk and have opinions. Um, I mean, I'd love to do it. I've got an idea. You know, one of the stories I want to do is a story with uh, with Tamsin and Rachel Beck, right, Tara's friend. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, as far as Rachel's concerned, Tamsin's the greatest accessory ever, <laughs> you know? Um, and those are, like I said, those are these are all ideas that we're going to have to wait. So what was the quickest way to grow them up? Oh, let's stop for a while, restart in a bit, and say time's passed. That's great, and and the relaunch for uh, for volume two. Uh, once again, it's uh, two thousand nine. You're you're looking at hopefully I'm shooting for two thousand and nine. Yeah. All right, all right. Pull out I want to get Thumbtown up and running first. 
Which is exactly where I was going to go next. Uh, Stumptown, the new series from Oni, um, yeah. going uh, w- once again to a, to a female lead, and yeah. uh, but but your street level, and it's a, a PI, which is I, I know uh, uh, from all the Rockford fi- Rockford Files and Simon and Simon that you talk about. That uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's a love of yours. Oh yeah, that's actually the first love. But so. Simon and Simon, really. I mean, seriously? Look, I, I'm not saying it was good. I'm saying, <laughs> all right? You know, I watch, um, it's funny, I got, my wife got me for my birthday the first season of Simon and Simon on DVD, and I got the first season of Rockford on DVD, and you watch the first episode of Rockford Files, and the first five minutes of that episode, there's no dialogue, you're just watching Jim tailing a guy, and you're interested, and you're engaged, and it's smart, and you, the first episode of Simon and Simon, they're on a stakeout in the back of a truck and somebody's delivering hot food and it's all about ha 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 we're in a truck and you know the qualitative difference is enormous <laughs> sure. but you know I was eight <laughs> now P.I. set in Portland so you know right in your right in your backyard is when is Stumptown going to be hitting comic shops well it depends on who you talk to okay. uh, if you talk to Oni they're like oh, it'll probably be you know third quarter uh, next year. If you talk to Matthew Southworth and me, um, we want it to be out by San Diego next year. Okay, okay. Um, but one of the things we're going to try on that is a different publishing schedule as well. And we're going to try to do four on, four off, four on, so that you get each case is four issues. You get some town, one, two, three, four, and then there's four months, nothing, and then five, six, seven, eight, and so on, so that each arc is going to be completed before it's solicited. Nice. So, you yeah. see, we dodged the Queen and Country problem this way. I don't know what the premise of Stumptown is going to be, whether it's a straight P.I. book or not. But uh, Yeah, no, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a reaction to uh, this spate of obsessive-compulsive, I-can-see-dead-people detectives. <laughs> I, I, just, I just want a detective who, you know, detects. Mm-hmm. I just want a PI who goes out there and is willing to take a punch for a client and who is willing to look at, you know, a corrupt district attorney and say, bite me. You know, and I come from, I come from the Chandler School, for lack of a better phrase. You know, the bylaw is the, the detective in these stories must be the best man in his world and a good enough man for any world. And that's, that's the rule. That's, that's, that's what we're after. So, you know, our, the detective in Stumptown, she's smart. Like like her predecessors, she has a bad habit of not knowing when to shut up. Um, she and she barely breaks even, but she you know she has her own code and she has her own sense of honor. And like the PIs that have come before, she's she, they're kind of knight errants in the modern world. You know, we take on lost causes. You know, we didn't talk about your new video game. No, we didn't talk about Logan's Shadow. What? Life and Filter to Logan's Shadow, which, uh, which I, I, I helped uh, I helped on the story with uh, with a fellow named John Garvin, who is basically the creator of all things uh, Siphon Filter. Okay. Uh, and it's it's fun. I mean, it's it, it's a fun game. You know, they they called me pretty much out of the blue. Um, the people involved knew the novels. And they said, this is what we're doing, this is the game, this is what we have designed, and we just were really looking at the story. Do you know the material? And I said, I don't know the material at all. 
fun. It's really cool. And, you know, we tried to add some of those elements of espionage that we were talking about before because, in, in theory, it's an espionage game. And one of the things I noted was nowhere in there is there any political anything. You know, you see it's it's a game that is always about, you know, doing the operation. And the game still is, you know, Logan Shadow is about performing the operation level to level. But now there's a backdrop to it. And uh, I'm very pleased with the story, John, and I came up with. I think people are going to dig it. Outstanding. Well, I, I tell you, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up here in a second, but uh, I just want to let you know I'm halfway through season two of Sandbaggers, so uh-huh. it, it, it is giving me my my Q and C fix until I'm taking it very slow. Just watching an episode a month or so, but uh, hopefully that'll, that'll it's see all me. All the through. awesomeness he can take. <laughs> but uh, no, you need to you need to pace that out, and then when when you go through all of those, I'd, I'd recommend switching to the prisoner if you, if you need to need to pace yourself out okay that's i i will do that i will do that well greg it is side chris (laughs) all right well greg it is always a pleasure talking with you thank you so much and uh and uh you know come out to chicago next year i will all right i'll make a point of it it was great talking to you guys thank you all of you for for your time and uh entertainment value (laughs) (laughs) you're the best man you have a great night all right you guys too take care bye Bye, bye We'd like to thank Greg, as always, for joining us. Uh, very entertaining guest. He's so charming. That was just awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we should uh, we should probably move on to some listener email. We got some really good ones. Uh, we had uh, what two weeks off. Thanks again to Greg. Yes, he's awesome. Uh, first uh, first listener email is from <laughs> GP Watson. Says guys, yes. thanks in a no small part to the AC podcast. This recent comic fan attended his first con, Wizard World Chicago. No. I have to say that in addition to meeting Steven Silver, Jim Mafood, J. Scott Campbell, and Cody Chamberlain of Punks the Comic, meeting the crew of Around Comics was definitely a highlight. When I good-naturedly busted Chris for the fact that neither of the emails I'd sent him have made it under the air, he seemed generally concerned and told me to Genuinely. mail again. Because we don't want to miss any of our ten <laughs> listeners to quit. Yes. Emails, yeah. No, don't leave us. Uh, if this one doesn't make it on, I'll know it was personal, and I'll dispatch my min- ninjas immediately. Ooh, let Is me uh, stop recording right yeah. now. Oh, and <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Oh, what? <laughs> Keep I was going. kidding. Oh. Oh. Anyway, Joke. anyway, I've got a question. I'm generally curious about. I want genuinely, to know, genuinely, not generally, Gen- generally, God, Jesus. congenially. Uh, I want to know why, even though I've listened to pretty much every episode of Around Comics as well as a number of other podcasts about comics, I've never heard anyone mention Tank Girl or the work of Jamie Hewlett. As someone who is primarily interested in comics for the artwork, I find myself regularly referring to my Tank Girl trade for inspiration. No one seems to mention the new Ashley Wood version either, and it too is loaded with explosive pen work. I actually, I, I thought that I have mentioned that one. Because I've actually emailed Ashley, which I've never met. I think it was a fan email from me. Yeah, maybe to you guys, but on the show. But I, I love Tank Girl. Casey is Tank Girl every year for Halloween. My girlfriend. I made her. Gorillas are awesome. Yeah, I love gorillas. Uh, But I actually emailed Ashley Wood as just a fan email and saying, I love Tank Girl, and I while yours is very different than Jamie, it's Mm -hmm. really cool anyway. You know, just the just a new take on it. Did you pick up uh, the Metal Gear Solid? Yeah. Well, that was. Great. Yeah, really cool. So I don't read it, but uh, listen. It's look pretty. At it. 
Apple. Just stare at it and stare bed. at it. No, we're we're fans. I, I yeah. like Tank Girl. Uh, and speaking of art, have you mentioned <clears throat> the great new collection of the art of Fletcher Hanks? I shall des- destroy all civilized planets. The fantastic comics of Fletcher Hanks. No, no, I never have. mentioned it. Never even heard of it. Uh, it's some truly insane stuff that deserves a mention <clears throat> and a look if you haven't seen the stuff. Scotty, if you ever want to come up uh, to one of our monthly uh, Doctor Sketchies events in Madison and uh, school us all, uh, school all us wannabes on how poorly we draw our models, I'll make sure to uh-uh. put your name on the VIP list. Ooh, they oh, got a list. How do they properly get? draw our models? Properly. It was like, boy, I butchered that. It's a Freudian right? slip yeah, Chris, there. you're not reading the next well, one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm uh, sure ones, you're from Madison. You, you lived in Madison, yeah. right? Maybe I'll get Tom to take me to Madison. Oh, Madison's I'll awesome. I'll teach you guys some yeah. teach you guys mad skills. Yeah. I'll Madison's lay the fun. smack down, as they say. <laughs> as the kids say. Madison's as those fun. young whippersnappers Hank, you say that, right? Hank says that all the time. What do kids say? All right, the next email is from... Felt Martin. He said, hi guys, uh, it's Felt Martin here from the forum. Haven't posted much, but have been listening carefully. The show is great, but I can't hold my tongue any longer after two outrageous attacks on my countrymen in consecutive weeks. First Sal has to go at our former world champion and motor racing legend Jackie Stewart, (laughs) calling him a short jockey. (laughs) As if that wasn't enough, the next week Scotty pretends to praise Mark Miller, while all at uh, the time making sure everyone knows he is a short arse too. Me and my fellow Scots are furious. I'm coming to Chicago with Sean Connery, Dario, Franchitti, and Lulu, and we're going to kick your fucking arses. Cheers, guys. Keep up the good work, Martin. Well, when did I... people are short. Well, That's first of all, everybody's shorter than me. <laughs> yeah, Scotty's <laughs> giant. Scotty's yeah. a giant. Yeah. I don't ever remember in my life... There are a lot of fairly big Scots. What have I read... When did I praise Mark Miller? You were talking about him. I don't... I think you just said we... At the end of it, we said yeah. something. He's just kidding around. And well, Jackie Stewart guy is getting really this is upset. fucking slander. We don't <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm not even gonna go there. I'm not <laughs> fucking. Sean Connery's like five foot seven. No, well, Jackie right. Stewart, I completely massacred that whole thing. So uh, this one is from uh, fucking Felt Martin. Uh, no, I'm just kidding, wrong. Uh, this one's from Lynn. Uh, just downloaded episodes 125 A and B. I wanted to wish you guys, Tom, Scotty, John, Norton, Crank. Um. Dark Tower and everyone else who's been a part of AC, a happy 125th episode. Hope you guys had a blast at the con. Again, congrats. Type at you later, Lynn. Nice. Cool, thanks. That's Thank you. Cool. Lynn of Bushy Tales. It was kind of... Uh, I lucky didn't our 125th. Kind of at the show, at, at yeah, the that con. was our con. I was, did, wasn't did, planned that way. Was Do you look at me different now? After, From the con? After going walking the floor. Oh, yeah, that was an interesting experience, was it walking the floor, being around you at the con, because, uh, yeah, I, was, I just kept, it was, it was, I kept being surprised that people wanted to come up and meet you, because, of, what, what? it's just taken. Scotty, why do they yeah. want his picture autographed, and then I would remember, I've oh, that's right, he's, he draws, too. <laughs> I've never seen an artist slap so many fans. It's me. And one show, just one after another. No, honestly, Scotty. You're like, why are you bringing the sketchbook with all this other garbage inside yeah. of it? I want a fresh new one. <laughs> with that one that's all I want. That's all I want to do. I was actually um, not surprised, but uh, uh, happy to see how, how nice you are to all your fans. And even people that maybe aren't even your fans, just like... You know anyone that I'm you, a nice, are, you, you are nice. Yeah, right. everybody. People, I I joke and haha, and that's sometimes I you come I, off. I as, think people yeah. that just hear me and don't see the giant cheese on my face when I say the 
that you're a fucking idiot. Type <laughs> stuff, you know, but, they take it uh, a little personal. Yeah, no, I mean, God, these people are the reason that I get to do what I do, right? So, but it was an interesting it's important experience. Important to remember. There aren't any non-fans of Scott Young. No. Just that, people he hasn't met yet. That is, that's right. <laughs> they just yeah. haven't seen his work. Just haven't seen his work. I did have fun, like, you making faces at me while you were at, on the X-Men panel. I thought that was, oh, actually, that was a highlight for me. That was Scott Collins. <laughs> you, oh, um, shit. Okay, this is another Scott. This is Scott from Wyoming, Michigan. When is the long box of love coming back? Um, we don't know. He disappeared. Yeah. I thought it was Brian Balls. Haven't heard from him. And I like Scotty. He's really funny and has a lot to add, and he has upped the quality level of the show. But sometimes really? he drowns out <laughs> Tom's comic genius. <laughs> oh. Wow. Sorry, Tom. Oh, Sorry, man. Care. We might have Tom, to... Tom, you are the freaking Make man. a limit Did on... Did my mom send this? You <laughs> 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 uh, are the freaking man. man. It has yeah. to be your mom. It has to be my mom. I also want to bet with my wife that she had to read the first trade of Walking of Walking Dead. Needless to say, one week later she is all now all caught up with the issues and loves it. I think sh- I will try why next with her. She why will like last, she will like why. Oh, yeah. Casey is in love with the why because uh, she likes the walking aspect. <laughs> yeah, she does <laughs> enjoy. They go they walk places. places. <laughs> traveling. That's yeah. like, traveling. What do you like about honey? They walk. <laughs> they walk. <laughs> they walk. <laughs> He's the last man. I want to know why. Uh, the monk. The last man. P.S. Scotty, I catch myself saying, I'm bossy from time to time. I'll, I'll pass Khalees. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> more <laughs> Khalees. I'll tell Khalees yeah. about it. As we hang out with her after yeah. the show. It, yeah. She's all like, I hate you so much <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right, who wants, who wants to take on the next tone yeah, email? Chris doesn't get to read it. Yeah, sorry, more. guys. I'm a little rusty. Dear Around Comics fellows, imagine, if you will, that a large snow, fall quickly, a large snow falls quickly on Chicago one cold, cold Friday evening in the December months to come. You are all left alone recording the podcast as each patron and what not coincidentally uh, left the shop for a few moments just as a monstrous snowdrift piled high against the store, making escape impossible. Now fast forward to a few weeks later. The snowdrift is present, uh, still present, and there is no sign of escape. You are already finishing eating all of the comics in the store, and there are long boxes now gently referred to as shit buckets sitting foully in the corner when Tom looks up all bright-eyed at the rest of you. You all lean in real close, close enough to smell the real rancid rank of Scotty's breath. There were mints found in the back three uh, in the back three days earlier, but Scotty refused, and Tom tells you his plan that you must resort to cannibalism. So my question here is: Given the opportunity and need, uh, which member of the podcast would be first to feed his friends in a primeval battle for survival? Keep in mind that you don't want to frivolously kill off easy. members after <laughs> after member of your show. So picking the man to die is a tough decision. You will need to weigh the attributes of each of your friends carefully, namely how much energy and nutritional sustenance you believe could be gained from this person, how easily they will be to kill. Uh, they will undoubtedly resist death, undoubtedly. Uh, and finally, how tasty you'd think they'd be. Dear, dearly and lovely. Uh, Niles. Wow. Sal would kill Chris one half hour in. <laughs> I, was like, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't survive the night. I wouldn't survive the <laughs> first night. Sal would strangle him and then look up at us and go, we had to do it. We have like, You're not, like half you a pizza still. Like. Uh, yeah, I've been told that I taste like chocolate. Yeah. Oh, well. Yeah. N- Niels, he doesn't really... He, yeah. <laughs> he, he doesn't realize how how close I am to losing my life every Friday every, night yeah, here. It's, it's it's a very yeah, fine it's, line. It's like, well, well, we just talked about a little bit outside that uh, fighting and uh, yeah, you know, yeah, and, and I sort of and I stay a dirty dead, fighter. Well, I'll fucking shoot you, right? You if you have a gun. Well, I, I, mean, I thought I thought I about find this. a hiding place. Well, I know this motherfucker has a gun well, in his yeah. store. Yeah. <laughs> 
what me and Scott are going to do when you fuckers are dead. Yeah. Well, you know, well, Sal, Sal, well, actually, Sal and I talked about my, this. My, we talked about yeah. this before. We, we'd have to take Baby Mark down first. Yeah. Motherfuckers. No, Mark, what'll happen is, Mark's you know, got the most meat on him, so happen, I think he would actually have to be the first to go. It'll get cold. He would last the long. Slice Mark open and sleep warm. Like a... Like a tauntaun. Like a tauntaun. Yeah. I thought he smelled bad <laughs> on the outside. Hank, I'd keep Hank around for like, uh, you know like sometimes when you want to snack like grapes? <laughs> That'd be Hank. He's like a grape, right? Just like, oh, I'm, I don't want a full meal, but just a snack. No. Hank would be like rum cake. <laughs> get, if you eat too much, you get drunk. I, uh, I'd probably lose it and get paranoid after a while. And yeah, kill, you, kill everyone. Why don't you like me? <laughs> kill everyone what in their sleep. No, what would happen is he would be paranoid during all day, like Survivor style, right? You watch Survivor and they'll, there's always one guy that starts really flipping the fuck out. Why don't they vote his ass off? Just, you'd be all in the corner like, why don't they like me? Well, as soon as you fall asleep, we eat you. What's no. that supposed to mean? What a dark fucking email you are, G- yeah. GP Watson. All right, yeah. Scott, you want to take this last one? All I know is I'm living. Uh, all right, this one is from Eric. Uh, hey guys, this is Eric from Philly, a long-time listener who hasn't done anything on your forums, though I love checking in on occasions now and again. I was writing because my friend Nick and I just recently started a comic book podcast of our own, uh, entirely or entitled Irresponsibility. Irresponsibly, irresponsibly powerless. Uh, uh, irresponsibly Pick a uh, easier name, maybe. We just <laughs> wow, <laughs> little competition there. Triple uh, A. Oh no, no, stay with that. Name. We we just uh, got our third episode done and are right now posting it online. I'd love for you guys to have a listen if you get a chance and give us some feedback. I love how you guys provide a casual comic book discussion atmosphere while still adding really intelligent insights into art in the industry. I'm hoping to eventually work up to providing two short shows a week on the comics of the week and in addition discussion on random topics relevant to comics today. It's a pretty new thing. <laughs> but, that's, <laughs> Sounds, uh, but that's still in the making. The first two shows were more trials in the whole podcast process. So I can attest to the quality, but I'm getting prouder. I can't, I can't attest to the quality, but I'm getting prouder with the latest one. Thanks again, and keep Tom nice and crunk. Crunk. Yeah, I just watched crunk. a... I just watched a crunk documentary. About crunk. About yeah. crunking. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Maybe crazy clown dancing? Yeah. yeah. Sa- Is that crumping? Oh, yeah, you're right. It is crumping. crumping. Yeah, it's like yeah. a mixture of... It's yeah. insane. It Get it cool. straight, burrito. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, there goes my street <laughs> cred. <Fucking> nacho. <laughs> Same advice we always give. Have fun yeah. and make it a show that you want to listen to. Don't even fucking think about competing with us. <laughs> No, just <laughs> enjoy yourself. All right. Uh, well, that but we will that. fucking eat you. <laughs> yeah. Go get snowed in. Yeah, yeah. Don't get snowed in. <laughs> All right. All right. Take, that's okay. Take care of our listener email. But you can become a friend of the program. Uh, you can become a friend of the program. Uh, go to roundcomics.com where you can download our LCS flyer. Ask your comic shop manager or owner if they'll display it in the store. If they do, send us an email. We'll mention you and the store on the show, as well as post it on our site. Become a friend of the program today. If you would like to virtually touch uh, Chris's taint. (laughs) (laughs) Tickle his taint. You can leave an iTunes review. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Nothing gets him... Thanks More to excited. Ken from Indy and Jeremy Burks. We hung out with uh, with Ken. We did. Ken, Ken and Justin. I don't remember names. Uh, Faces. Yeah, uh, what yeah. do they look like? Put um, was that the heavy nice guy with balding heavy? dude yeah. glasses and the skinny friend? Yes. Oh, okay. Those guys were cool. I don't remember the names, but they're, they're very them. cool. We had yeah. we had a great time with them. Yeah. I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna come up with so many sexual 
innuendo. Ways that, that the iTunes that, reviews pleasure me. <laughs> speaking, that was a good one. That was speaking good of one. sex, check out all the cool things that Ron <laughs> Comics has to offer. We post the next week's topic on Tuesdays at our forum at www.aroundcomics.com. Remember, you can also visit us at www.comicspace.com and www.myspace.com. <laughs> Both slash around comics. Slash I think I'm going to build a site www.www.www.aroundcomics.com. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. Find more great podcasts at www.comicspodcast.com. And thank you to InStock Trades for sponsoring this episode. Waiting for the trade has never been easier. InStockTrades.com offers a huge selection of the collected editions you need. InStockTrades.com is your source for trade paperbacks, deluxe hardcovers, essentials, showcases, archives, absolute editions, omnibus editions, and more. All at great discounted prices. Remember that all orders over $50 ship for free. So whether you're buying an absolute edition or catching up on showcases and essentials, InStockTrades.com is your new best friend. And we are proud to help support the Hero Initiative. Hero yes. creates a financial safety net for yesterday's, yesterday's creators. <laughs> Essential. Creators who need emergency medical aid. Essential. Financial support for, for essential essentials of life. <laughs> and an avenue back into paying work. It's a chance for all of us to give back something to the people who give us so much enjoyment. For more information, visit... HeroInitiative.org or call 310-909-7809, period. Uh, did, did any of you guys happen to catch in um, the last Blade issue? The, the last Gene Cohen did the Gene last Cohen. two pages. I thought that yeah. was pretty cool, considering he Gene still got it. He helped create that character. So. Yeah, I thought that right. was I thought that was Sweet. awesome. And they were uh, they were rocking at the uh, the Hero booth in Chicago. Uh, Paul Jenkins played pool pretty much all weekend I long. His ass. Fucking sharked everybody. He yeah, did. He's fucking nasty. He's Playing bad. blindfolded and shit. He, he yeah. went and lost by like insane. a ball. Yeah, that's yeah. crazy. Well, he I, played Casada blindfolded. Right? Yeah, yeah. And he had somebody else aim. He he whipped Miller. He played behind his back the entire time. I think. I think Paul lost four matches the entire week, and that was only to get more people to like. Yeah, because people, yeah, like, yeah, people were like, "Yeah, I'm not going to play," and then the he'd point? lose one to get, and then people would be like, "Oh, because he's a fucking hot, he's fast he's Eddie, a, right?" He's a, yeah. yeah, he's a shirt. Sure. Color yeah. money, man. And what, what's sad is that I hear that he's a better golfer than he has a pool player. He's good at everything, man. Yeah, yeah. he can play guitar. I saw him perform he can, surgery. He can drink like For fish money. <laughs> oh, on the pool table. He's a hell of he gives a hell of a hand job. All right, well, I'd like to thank. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. Sal, Scotty, Tom, and of course, Mr. Greg Rucka. Or, as I like to call you all, dinner. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone, beef this, bring the Rucka. (laughs) Have a fantastic rest of your week and weekend. We'll be back again on Monday with another full length episode. In the meantime, in between time. Thank you, Scotty. We'll be everywhere in and around. BiteMe.com <laughs>like to suggest a topic, send us your comments, or are interested in becoming a panel member, email us at info at aroundcomics.com or visit the contact us section of our website. 
Music for the show provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network. Music.podshow.com. Views expressed in the interviews or by guests of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and do not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Thank you for listening today, and remember to join us next time when the panel will change, but our mission will stay the same. Bringing you the very best news, reviews, and opinions in and around comics. Around Comics is a Pipe Dream production. Copyright 2007. All rights reserved. And uh, Scotty Young. Hi. What's that? <laughs> Scott, Scotty Young. Scotty. Yes. Hello. Hi. So, <laughs> hello. I don't know. Do you know Scotty's work at all? I do. I, you know, I don't. Okay. Well, fuck you then, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, I knew I was going to be sorry I said that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, Scott.